Welcome to Driven Minds. I'm Gigi, and this is a Type 7 podcast. So I'm going to keep this intro kind of short, guys, because as you can hear, I lost my voice and I'm also kind of sick. This is because we recorded this live episode last week at Porsche Scopes Festival in Tel Aviv, and then it was my birthday right after, so I think I had a bit too much fun, shall we say. So Scopes is a five-day music and art festival. Each year, it's in a different city around the world, and this year, it was in none other than Tel Aviv. So for our season three finale, cannot believe we're here, by the way, I had the pleasure of doing a live recording with Eliran Tehan, an Israeli interdisciplinary artist who was exhibiting his installation at Scopes, but more on that shortly. So here it is, my conversation with Eliran, live at Porsche Scopes. Welcome to the second live recording of Type 7's Driven Minds podcast. My name is Gigi, and I am the host of the show. Our first live recording was a year ago in Munich, and we had such a fantastic time that we wanted to bring it to a different city, so that's why we're live here in Tel Aviv. I'm really excited to be here, not only because I get to speak to Eli Khan, but also because I get to use my Hebrew name, which is Aviva, for the first time since my bat mitzvah. And I think the only person who's more excited than me is my father, who hopes that in 72 hours, I will somehow meet a nice Jewish boy and bring him back to the United States. So I will keep you posted as that unfolds. So I want to start off with a question, which is who here has felt anxiety in their life and talked about it with a friend? Okay. We have a a vulnerable crowd. So these types of conversations is exactly what I do on the podcast. On the podcast, I talk to cultural icons and creative luminaries to learn how they get through challenging periods of their lives and find mental strength. Because from the outside, especially with social media, we think everyone is living better, more worry-free lives than we are, when in reality, we're not unique in our problems, right? We're all going through it, and sometimes we're going through the same thing. So the inspiration to start the show stemmed from this idea, as well as my 20-year struggle with OCD and anxiety, which is obsessive compulsive disorder for those who don't know the acronym. For two decades, I completely ignored my mind. I ignored my issues, and they started becoming way more powerful than I was. Um, But I kept pushing it away, and then eventually I became overwhelmed by the noise, and I ended up checking into a psychiatric clinic. So I dropped off the grid, and fully went into treatment. And I was actually having a really good time there. Like I was really making progress and I felt really good for the first time in a long time. But what wasn't helping was the amount of shame that I felt and the amount of shame I felt about my mind and my problems. So I never planned to breathe a word about my OCD or where I was to literally anyone, right? I resolved to just take it to the grave. But what ended up happening was When my friends started calling me and asking me where I was, at first I lied about it. I was like, I'm at a mindfulness retreat. There are palm trees. I was literally in Boston, Massachusetts. It was like minus 10 degrees. And I was just making up something else because I was so ashamed to be there. And the more I started opening up to my friends and telling them what was going on in my life, the more they started opening up to me. And we started having these conversations that we have never had despite two decades of friendship. We realized we were telling each other everything about our lives except our psychic lives. And what's also so interesting is the people who 
were struggling the most were often my most successful friends. Like the ones that had that dream relationship and that like dream career, whatever it was, those were the people that were struggling the most. So at the end of these conversations, we started feeling so much less alone and so much stronger. Soon after this, this was around 2019, I had a conversation with Franzi, who's the founder of Porsche's editorial platform called Type 7. And Franzi and her team recognized the importance of telling stories of mental strength. So together, we launched the Driven Minds podcast at the end of 2020. And since then, we've had the fortune of talking to incredible guests like Tyra Banks, Ariana Huffington, Lindsey Vaughn, and Ron Howard. And we learned how they get through the challenges that life throws at them. Because by hearing ourselves and others, especially the people we put on pedestals, we realize that struggle and success are not mutually exclusive. And we are all in this together, trials, tribulations, and all. So this brings us to today's conversation with Elirane Dehan, an interdisciplinary artist exhibiting here at Porsche Scopes who works and lives in Tel Aviv. He uses sculpture and technological means to explore the effects of capitalism on society and the individual. So uh, we are going to get into it. The last time we spoke was on a video call. Now we are in front of a, you know, we're in front of other people, in front of a crowd. I personally get pretty anxiety-ridden when I'm talking in front of people. Not to put you on the spot here, but how are you with... Extremely anxious, but it's okay. Extremely anxious, okay, good. I didn't know that it's going to be in front of so many people. But. Well, surprise. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So your installation's on view here at Scopes, but before we get into that, I wanted to talk about something that's crucial to the work itself, which is sleep. So I've had sleep issues since I was 10, and they've followed me everywhere, including to Tel Aviv. And I need an eye mask, I need earplugs, I need like a buffet of natural sleep aids. So um, you can imagine what dating me is like. Um, what's, your, what's your relationship to sleep? Because hopefully it is not as torrid as mine. Do you just like drift off or what does that look like for you? Just a skill that I don't know how to do it. You know, it just, I don't know how to sleep. So I think that's one of the big problems in my life. I think this is why I went to work in nightlife eventually. And uh, yeah, but sleep is an issue. <laughs> it's a big issue. So what do you do? Are you also on a buffet of natural sleep remedies like melatonin and I used to. Stuff? I used to. Uh, but uh, now, after a lot of years of trying to fall asleep with AIDS and everything that you yeah. can buy, earplugs, melatonin. Melatonin get me really depressed the day after. So I stopped using it, mm. but it's, it's working. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm just reading. Okay. I'm just reading or I'm listening to podcast before sleep it's or to Tara Brock if you know her yes I love her actually right? that's also what Tara I'm, Brock you're just yes. whispering in your ear five second breathing yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> true it's totally that's so funny well don't tell her you uh, fall asleep to her I don't know if that's like the most no it's okay and she also have breaks in her she's like the most weird thing she's talking and then there is a break for 20 seconds and yeah. you're like okay it's over now take a deep and I'm like, oh, I'm waking up. And it's- yeah. No, I hear you. She's incredible. We'll put her name in the show notes because she's also, she's a tried and true trick for me too. So can you tell us about the backstory of how this installation came to be? Because it is also sleep related. Definitely. Yeah. 
so in the beginning of the crisis, the COVID crisis, I lived in an apartment that uh, basically a room behind me, I had like five kids. Uh, apartment below me, I don't know, it felt like 25 kids. I don't know, just basically I lived in a, I don't know, in a kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And I tried to look, how can I just relax at night? And how can I go to sleep? How can I block all of this noise? And I came across a device uh, that's called a white noise analog generator. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, cool. It's going to solve all of my problems. Take my 69 euros and bring it to me. I got it. And it's like a tiny machine that produces white noise. And it's, it's nice, but it's not really working against 40 kids. And I was so depressed. I was like... I, I waited for this device. I thought it was going to solve all of my problems in life, and it didn't solve anything. <laughs> but I had a nice sound in my room when you were going inside. So it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I want to do something with this device. And I just dropped it for, I think, three years, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they asked for a proposal for the festival. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, so I'm coming to a festival. What is something that I need in a festival? I need to quiet down sometimes the ambient sound. I want to just relax from all of the hectic things that are going on. And then I said, okay, I'm going to build an instrument that's going to create white noise, a lot of white noise, and it's going to shut all of the surrounding. And I did it, and I built it. And it was exactly the feeling that I felt when I bought it home. It's not working. It's not quiet down anything. And I thought that was part of the process of building so such a device that just show you that it's quite hard to quiet down things around me. Can you describe the installation for anyone who hasn't seen it? Yeah. So I had a fantasy that if I will build a perfect circle, that I will place them in a symmetrical distance from each other on the circle. It will block perfectly 360 degrees the sound around you. So it's basically a metal construction. Uh, with three legs that are also in a symmetrical uh, position. And I put some uh, rubber underneath the, the surface of the machine because I didn't want any husk to come from the metal construction. It's quite simple. It's not really trying to do anything from else than the purpose of why mm-hmm. it's built that way. And the second that you go in, you literally don't hear anything. You don't hear the machines. Right. And more and more that you're inside of the room and you choose to hear the machines, you want to listen to it. You want to pull your, put your attention to it. It's calming down. You're feeling, okay, it's nice. Oh, yeah, it's working. It's just the same psychological Jedi mind trick that you do on yourself right. to agree that it's working. The white noise machine is actually what I used when I was in treatment. This is totally coincident. They use them in psychiatric clinics to quiet... Uh, it helps patients sleep. And the other thing it does is it drowns out the noise of a therapist talking to a client. So they put them outside every therapy session so it would drown out the noise of the talking. So I was just like, wait, did you also go to the place I went to? Like when I saw it, I was like, are you also nuts? No, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, but I, that, was my, that, was my first, that was my first reaction. Um, I want to talk about noise a bit because the timing of this conversation is kind of serendipitous because... I was actually in Los Angeles literally two days ago, and I did psychedelic therapy. And during the therapy session, it was MDMA therapy, um, where you take a really 
high dose of, of MDMA, and then you are able to tap into your subconscious. And uh, during the session, I was trying to get in the zone, but the street noise was so loud and there was, we were like right near an airport. So there were like planes taking off and I was just going crazy. So I'm like, you know, feeling the MDMA and I'm like hearing all the noise. And I feel like I'm in some like purgatory of like, I can't be here, but I'm kind of there. So it ended up being like an exercise in accepting the noise. And then I realized that, and obviously through therapy, but I, um, I realized that there's emotional noise you know, breaking up with a partner or uh, ruminating on an argument that you had with a friend um, or whatever it is. And there's actually real noise, which is like the hell I experienced with the planes and the cars on the street. So in this vein, what wider significance do you think noise has for you, either within the context of this installation or without? First of all, I think that me and you went to the same therapy place. Uh, <laughs> second of all, I really think that it's, it's what you describe. You think it's coming from the outside. You always blame it from yeah. on the outside. You say, okay, I'm living in Tel Aviv, LA. It's super noisy. It's super crowded. Yeah. I can't, it just, it's not calm. It's no. not. And then you realize basically that, I don't know, in, in Tel Aviv, you have half million people that sleeping great. I don't know if all of them, probably not. But like, who are they? Not in my friend group. Yeah, I know. You can Same. ask them. But people can do it, you know? And yeah. And I feel that more and more when I'm getting older and I'm, yeah, it's, it's the, the noise that you can't really hear from the outside is making all the white noise in your head. It's yeah, just totally. the unconsciousness that just haunts you all the time, I guess. I think this is the more side of the work that I'm trying to emphasize. I'm trying to say, okay, it's not going to work. I'm mm -hmm. not going to shut a festival with five mm -hmm. small elements that I bought from Amazon. Right. And everyone looks so... I don't know, so confused when they get into the room, they're saying, okay, it's not working. What's, right. It's, it's not, it's not going to work. And we yeah. thought about putting a speaker on a microphone to amplify the noise. And we eventually thought, no, it's the noise inside and we're trying to shut it up. Pretty beautiful. Like the idea of people coming in and the whole function of the piece is that it's non-functional, right? Like the takeaway is that it doesn't work and that you'll never have quiet and quiet in some ways within you. Yeah. That's how I'm interpreting it, at least. A hundred percent. What was the first piece of art you created, or did that also have to be with your sleeplessness? Or Oh, I don't know. First art I created? I don't know. I probably yeah. painted with poop or something when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> I don't okay. know what was... <laughs> scatological, scatological into it. No, I, I don't know. I was... Since I was a kid, I was... That, that was my runaway. I s remember myself sitting in a room and just paint and just trying to avoid everything around me. And that's the only thing that worked. So. Right. So you were around like five, six years old, I'd say, at the time. Probably. I have photos yeah. of myself as a baby playing with. And I don't know. I don't. Professionally, I did it when I was 25, six. And how old are you now? 32. I find when we can psych ourselves out or having a hard time like owning our creative titles. I was an editor at Vogue and then at W and I could not say that I was a writer. Like people would ask me what I did and despite being employed to write words, I could not own that. So I'm curious if that came naturally to you owning the fact that you are an artist or do you still have, okay, clearly um, there is, I'm getting. I don't think I will ever own it. 
every time that someone asks me what I'm doing, I'm always answering according to what brings me money to life just because it's, I think it's the right answer. Because I don't know, I, I'm feeling very embarrassed to say that I'm an artist, not because it's an embarrassing job, it's because right. I, don't, I don't know, I don't feel comfortable saying that I'm an artist. Have you ever felt comfortable? Saying that I'm an artist yeah. or gen in general? <laughs> Either. <laughs> Never? No, saying you're an artist. Like, have you ever answered yes to one? Never. Never, no. How about now? I mean, you're exhibiting here as an artist. I don't know. We talked before, and you know that I felt like it's I'm out of place a bit. Not because I'm not doing work and I'm not exhibiting, because clearly everyone else thinks that I'm an artist. But... Uh, I don't think it's defined me. And when someone asks you, what do you do? I think it's a hard thing to say that you're a writer, artist, uh, philosopher. I totally agree. Right? I don't think I will ever feel that because I'm constantly in a battle with it. You know, like I'm choosing to have a day job because I feel that sometimes I want to feel a struggle. What level do you feel you'd have to get to in order to claim that title? Nowhere. So no. you could be like at the, I don't know what the biggest art museum in Israel is, but... You could be there and you still, you feel it. I'll probably be there soon. It's just, it's not. Okay, that's amazing. It's not going to change what I feel. It's just, it's not coming from this right. place. So if I asked you what you did now, what would you say? Easy. I will tell you I'm a UX, UI designer. What I do at work. I will tell you I'm working in high tech, you know, high tech firm. Interesting. Yeah. And do you feel comfortable sharing your art with people or is it kind of? Is there a blockage in there? Like, do you share it with friends? Is it family? I mean... Not so much, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I need to drink a lot <laughs> to feel that, no. okay, come, come to see my art. Yeah. I think I, my friends are here and I didn't even invite them to the opening to see my installation. They came here to have fun in the festival. They didn't come to see my installation. Yeah. Have you ever considered giving it up entirely? Because it's, yeah. it's a hobby for you then, right? I don't know if it's an hobby. It's, a, it's just really intense therapy. <laughs> Yeah. It's just something that I have to do. I just, I don't choose right. to do it. I feel if I'm not doing it, something is really wrong. And I'm thinking about it all the time. Like, just, I want to quit. I don't want to do it anymore. And then I try to quit and it's just not really working. So what, what did you do when you wanted to give up? I had a day uh, that I, I felt really, really down and I said, okay, I'm, I'm quitting. I don't know. I just decided I, I sat with my friends at, at a house and, I was like, I really don't want to do it anymore. I feel it's too much pressure. It's mm -hmm. too much. I like to do it for myself. I just don't want to exhibit in a museum. I don't want to do it. I had a big exhibition in the museum and I felt too anxious and too stressed. And then I just went to a party with uh, my friends. And I met someone that I never met. Came to me and he's like, you're Elian. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, I really like what you're doing. And you'd never seen him before? I never saw this dude. He's like, you're Elian, I have you on Instagram. I really like what you're doing. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and then I walked in the party like a, I don't know, like a peacock. With yeah. myself, no one knew. I was like, wow, so happy. And then another person that I actually know came to me and he was like, I really like what you're doing. And it's not happening. So like, you know, I'm not walking in the street. Someone, whoa, I like your thing. No, it's rare. Yeah. And I think I had a shift in my mind that I'm, I'm not doing it only for myself. Right. No, I'm not a, some kind of a Robin Hood or a crusader. I'm just like, people enjoying what I'm doing. Like, right. It's just what I do. I have to yeah. do it. Yeah. So in the times when people didn't come up to you at a party and reinforced you in a very concrete way, how did you get out of that hole and pull yourself together 
enough to go forward and continue making it? There's no a methodological way to do it. I think it's happening naturally in the second that I'm going into my studio mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to do it, but let's just, let's draw something. Let's do just a sculpture or something. And then you're like, whoa, it's filling you up. It's filling you up and you uh, and you really want to do it. It's just like, okay, it's, just, yeah. it's what I like to do the most. And it's giving me energy. Driven Minds is all about shining a light on the obstacles that people face and manage to overcome in order to do what they do. What has been the biggest obstacle you've faced until now? I had a lot of obstacles. I think first true big obstacle that almost knocked me out of my feet was the death of my mom. I think that was the, the hardest thing that ever happened to me. And life wasn't nice before, but she was... My best friend, she was my, my old family. I don't have brother or sister and I don't have a dad. So she was literally everything. I remember, okay, we're talking about sleep. True story. I remember myself in a really, really old age, something like 15 or 16, going to my mom's room and like one in, in the night, waking her up. Like, mom, I can't sleep. I, I just can't do it. And I swear, she literally like, say, okay, sit on the bed. And she stroked my hair. I used to have hair back then, so it was. <laughs> so she stroked my hair, and I fell asleep. And I remember myself dreaming about like my worst nightmare is if something bad gonna happen to her. You know, we were mm. so close. After this, I was diagnosed with PTSD because of this. Everything looked not real. Were you able to channel at all the PTSD and put it into your art, or was there any sort of like physical manifestation of that? I know it sounds super stupid, but I had, I, I was really lucky. 31 day after that she died, I was, it, it's, they drafted me to the army. And <laughs> I know it's not, it's not a nice thing, but it was immediately like some kind of a structure that's with a lot of physical training and a lot of discipline that's, okay, it's moved it a bit. Just, okay, don't think about it, act. I don't mm-hmm. think it's the best practice how to deal with with death in general. Yeah. If you have any traumas, join the army. But uh, I guess for me, it just worked. I don't know. And mm. weekends was shit, but I trained a lot. I was in really good physical health. And I think it's helped a bit. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's tried and true, though. Like, when we get out of our minds and into our bodies, there is so much research to show that that just completely changes your physiological and psychological landscape. So, I mean, I can't imagine the Israeli armies. I mean, it's really intense from it's like, great antidepressants videos I watch. But yeah. <laughs> so, you've also been open about struggling with some anxiety and depression. Has that gotten in the way of you making art, or has it more fueled your art? I think sometimes it really puts sticks into my wheels, and I just trip down because of it and sometimes it was okay okay create you will feel better or yeah. I struggled so so many years with it so it's just there is so many episodes of me just getting knocked down and not be able to be functional and so many times that I was like okay trying to take something out of it and what's helped you the most remedy wise I mean, for me, it's been actually getting out of my mind and into my body. 
um, 100% all the way, even just doing opposite action. Like if I feel like shit and I cannot get out of bed, I do, like what would I do if I were my best self right now? And then I do it and then all of a sudden I... It's kind of like a fake it till you make it thing, which is actually verbatim what my therapist told me. She's like, if you don't want to do it, do it anyway. If you don't want to, whatever it is, just opposite action yourself into happiness. And it, you know, it's just like, oh, really? But it actually kind of works. I think that's the same here. I think the thing that helped me the most, and if I'm looking back, was actually physical activity and mindfulness meditation. Those are the things that helped me the most going for a run, is just amazingly yeah. helpful. I don't know. And just breathing. Is there one particular episode you can think of um, where creating something actually helped you find a way out that wasn't necessarily physical? Yes. Uh, sounds super weird, but sometimes when I'm creating something that is quite repetitive, if I'm just doing, I don't know, it sounds super stupid, but if I'm just doing circles or anything that is extremely repetitive, yeah. have some kind of a meditative energy to that. I don't know. I'm just yeah. doing the same thing a couple of times and I'm getting into some kind of a zone or a flow. Yeah, it helps a lot also. I think a lot of people can benefit from it. I don't think you need to be an artist or right. think that you're an artist to do it. Just take a pencil, something, and just yeah. try to do something repetitive. It's funny. I'm definitely not an artist, but I was an assistant for like three years and I had to do my boss's expenses. And it was the most torturous thing. I would like save up all the expenses until they were like overflowing in an envelope. And this is at Vogue and you do whatever they tell you to do, right? It's not like I don't want to do it. You shut up and you do it. So I ended up having to do two different editors expenses. I was like staying. I was like, all right, I've got to stay till 4am in the morning to get this done on time. And I ended up loving just cutting out the receipt, putting the tape on the receipt and sticking it to a paper. And I was like, why am I deriving an inappropriate amount of joy from a task that is like abominable? So I completely get it. You know, I mean, come in any form, very much understand the repetition part. So what's next for you? What do you have coming up? What are you excited for? Uh, I have a big uh, solo exhibition in a museum in Petr uh, Tikva. It's a suburb here. It's a really nice museum and I'm really excited. It's in one month from now and I worked really hard on it. I'm super excited for it. I don't know. And after that, I think I'm going to take a couple of months just to, I don't know, make music or something and relax. I'm excited for my vacation after this exhibition question we ask every guest at the end of the show is what drives you so what drives you my friends my loved ones I think the environment that I'm into I think that every time that I'm really really down and I'm telling it to someone that I love they just respond with love back and it's just okay I don't want to fail them I guess super kitschy and we're not pink room so I will say love <laughs> that my friends was Ellie Ron Dehan. you can follow him on Instagram at underscore Ellie Ron Dehan, and you can follow me at Gillian Sigansky 
As it is the end of season three, we over here at Driven Minds also need to take a holiday mental health break. So don't forget to subscribe so you'll be the first to know when we're back with season four, which will be better than ever. I'd love to hear who you want to hear from next, and I want to meet all of you listeners out there. So please, please send me a DM on Instagram, and we can start a conversation. Have a wonderful holiday. Until next time.